Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke shows Jesus to be the Savior, the King, and the Messiah. He's on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the will of the Father, and that is to die on the cross and then rise again. He's going to pay for sins, and he's going to conquer death. Now, this morning, as we go through our passage, we see Jesus on his way, but there are two things, two key events that we see in these verses. First of all, we're going to see the healing of lepers. Now, there's going to be ten men. One of them is a Samaritan. They've got leprosy, and we're going to see the whole issue of gratitude and worship and thanksgiving. Then the second thing is some questions concerning the kingdom. Some Pharisees are asking him about the kingdom. In fact, the best we can tell, they're looking for signs, and they're not coming asking like they really want to know. And we'll see how it ties together as we go through this. There's so much in this passage. We want to have gratitude. May we have gratitude to our God and Savior for all that he's done for us. And then may we be able to put together the truths concerning the kingdom of God. And we'll see that as we go through. Well, think about this. What does the future hold for us? For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Think about our lives. We say, well, what are going to be the next year is going to be? What about our family and our jobs and service and all those kind of things? Well, we look forward to one day being with our Savior. We call that eternal life. The moment we trust in Christ, we have eternal life. But one day we'll be with Him. He says He'll never leave us or forsake Him, but we'll actually be there with Him. What does the future hold? What is the next event in God's timetable. Well, if you studied, you know, before, you know, when we do some end-time studies, I'm doing a study in Sunday school called The Seven Last Things in Revelation. But, you know, the very next event that could happen, it could happen at any second, is Jesus Christ coming in the clouds to get us. It's called the rapture in which the believers will be taken off the face of the earth to be with Jesus Christ. In fact, we'll be with him forever from that point on. We call that the rapture. There is another event that's coming in the future in which Jesus Christ actually comes to this earth And he comes back to rule and reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, we call that the second coming. We'll talk about it in just a little bit. But he comes to rule in righteousness. We call this the millennial kingdom because the Bible says that he rules for a thousand years on this earth. And so that's the second coming. Now, we teach in our 2-2 class. We teach in other places these two things. I just want you to see there's two comings of Christ to the earth. Now, make sure you understand that to the earth. His first coming to the earth, he came. And this is what we're seeing in the Gospel of Luke. He came to die on the cross, pay for sin, and rise again. He came to be the Savior. That's his death and resurrection. There's a second coming of Christ to this earth that's on in the future. He comes to rule and reign with justice and righteousness. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So a first coming to the earth to die, a second coming to the earth to reign. Well, this morning in this passage, the Pharisees are asking him a question about the kingdom. And when we're talking about the kingdom, we're talking about his second coming when he comes to the earth to reign. Now, the answer that he gives them is a little bit surprising. And it's, it's confusing, possibly, even to some some of us, as you look at it, you go, well, what did he mean by that? Because he says the kingdom of God is in your midst. What does he mean by that? And how does it fit together? And we'll see it as we go through. The goal is to gain an understanding of the kingdom and, and some other great truths, of course, as we go through the passage. Well, let's begin. Jesus has left Galilee, left the northern part of Israel, on the way to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us. He wants to complete the work that the Father has given him, and that is to be the Savior. He has come to die as the, and, and, and uh, uh, take care of our sins. We have seen, or we have seen his first coming, to die and rise again, pay for sin. In the last few weeks, what we've been doing, we've been watching him teach. He is, as he's going to Jerusalem to die, he is doing all kind of teaching. And in these last three to four chapters, we've seen him teach about salvation and discipleship. We saw him teach about the prodigal son. He taught about stewardship, using wisely all that you have. He taught about life after death. If you remember, we spent a couple of Sundays where he talked about Hades and paradise and a place in the heart of the earth and all of that. 
a couple of weeks ago, we talked about sin and forgiveness, forgiving one another. And then last week, we saw the whole issue of faith and faithfulness. Because they asked him, increase our faith. And he told him it wasn't the amount of faith. It was the object of the faith that was the key. And he talked about being faithful believers. Well, this morning, two things. The ten lepers, we're going to see that, his healing, and then some questions about the kingdom. Let me break down the passage for you. Here's the first part. Verses 11 through 19 in this passage is the healing of the ten lepers. And they, they request mercy. They want him to, to take care of it because they have leprosy. He then heals them. We see that the response by one of them. There were ten of them, but one of them comes back to Jesus. And then when he comes back to Jesus, we see Jesus, how he responds to this one man. Now there's more. The second part of the passage is the questions concerning the kingdom. The Pharisees are really basically seeking for signs. They're basically saying, when's the kingdom here? If you're the king, why come the kingdom's not here? And we see that he does say the kingdom is here. He says the kingdom is in your midst. We'll explain to you because you know that there is a kingdom in the future in which he rules for a thousand years. Why does he say the kingdom is here now? We'll talk about it as we go through the passage. So there's some great things. Well, Luke shows Jesus traveling. He's going between Samaria and Galilee. Let me, let's, we'll explain it. We'll show it to you in just a second. Look at Luke 17, verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem... He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, he's going to Jerusalem for what reason? It's to die, to pay for our sins, to be the final sacrifice for sin forever, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to be the substitute and the sacrifice for our sins. That's why he's going. It is the greatest thing in the the whole world when you think about it. Jesus Christ is going to Jerusalem to die for you and for me. He's going as our Savior. He's going to pay for sin, rise again, and be able to give to us eternal life when we believe in Him. Now, notice this passage says, While He was on the way to Jerusalem, He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Well, what exactly is Samaria and Galilee? They're not cities. They're provinces. Let me show you a map. At the time of Jesus, the nation of Israel, uh, the land of Israel, was divided into three big parts. If you notice up toward the top there, it says Galilee, and then there's this water there. That's the Sea of Galilee. If you come down to the south here, all the way to the bottom, there's the Dead Sea. Those are the two famous bodies of waters. Then there's the Mediterranean. Israel was divided into three parts. The northern part of Israel, this is at the time of Christ, was called Galilee, and that's around the Sea of Galilee. There was a central section which was called Samaria, and then there was a southern section called Judea, sometimes called called Judah, but Judea. So when you talked about it, if Jesus was in Jerusalem area, he was in Judea. If he was around the Sea of Galilee, he was in the Galilean area. So the nation was divided into three big parts. This passage says, and we'll just keep the map up there for a minute, says he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. We don't have borders on this map, but somewhere he's in between where the two sections meet, where Samaria and Galilee meet, somewhere in the north. Now, if you notice in Galilee, there's Nazareth and Tiberias. Those are famous cities, especially Nazareth. In the south, there's Jerusalem and Jericho. Those are famous cities as well. But he's saying he's somewhere in the north, and he's heading toward Jerusalem, and he's in between, basically, Samaria and Galilee. Now, we got to understand that middle section called the Samaritans or Samaria. Let's talk about it for a second. Let me give you a little background. David was the king. David was the greatest king of all. He was a man after God's own heart. He ruled Israel. He was very powerful. When David died, his son Solomon became king. Now, you know who Solomon was because Solomon was the richest king who ever lived. And he, when he took over the king, being the king, he asked God for wisdom. And God said, I'm going to make you the wisest man who ever lived. And he was. And so he's the richest man and the wisest man. When he died, something happened to the nation of Israel. They became a split. And they became two parts. 
Israel was divided into two parts. The northern part was called Israel, and the southern part was called Judea or Judah. Let me show you. The next slide shows this. The northern part was called Israel, and the southern part was called Judah. And the capital of the northern part was at a city called Samaria. And the capital of the southern part was, of course, in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think about that. When Solomon died, Israel divided into two kingdoms. They did not get along. The northern kingdom had a number of kings. Never one was a believer. Not a single believing king. The southern kingdom had some believing kings. Kings like Josiah and Hezekiah. They were famous and they were in the southern kingdom. Now let me tell you what happened. There were always conflicts between the north and the south. But then in 722 B.C., an empire known as the Assyrian Empire came and they swept across the northern part to Israel and they wiped them out. They defeated Israel, the northern kingdom, killed a whole bunch of them, took a whole bunch of them off into captivity. They tried to come get the southern kingdom, but they were not able to do it. So the northern kingdom is now decimated. These Assyrians went to all parts of the world where they had control and they brought in Gentiles and they brought them into the northern kingdom, into that region which was known as Samaria, and they put them there and they intermarried with the Jews. And the Jews and the Gentiles intermarried and they became known as the Samaritans because they were half Jew and half Gentile. These Samaritans also set up a false worship system. So by the time of Christ, and you put the map back up, by the time of Christ, Israel's not divided anymore, but there still is a region called Galilee, there's a region called Samaria, and there's a region called Judea. And the Samaritans live in Samaria, and they're half Jews and half Gentiles. They have a false or a different worship system. Jewish people don't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people. Jewish people would say Samaritans are half-breeds, they're not true Jews. The Jewish people would say you have a false worship system. And so they didn't get along. Most Jewish people, if you were in Galilee and you wanted to go to Judea, you did not go through Samaria. You went across the Jordan River, came down that side, and then crossed over. They hated them that badly. They wouldn't even go through their region. Now, Jesus would go through their region. Do you remember the famous story where Jesus talked to the woman at the well? That was at a place called Sychar, which is in Samaria. And she was a Samaritan woman. So Jesus would go through there and do that. Now, here's what happened. It says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. So I just want you to understand what's going on there. Now, notice. And he entered a village, verse 12, he entered a village... As, or as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Now he goes into a village, and he doesn't tell us whether it's a Samaritan village or a Galilean village, because it could be either one, because he's on the border. If I'm guessing, I'm thinking it's a Galilean village, and we'll see a little bit later. There are ten men with leprosy, and they're all standing at a distance from him. Now let's talk about leprosy for just a second. In the Old Testament, there were all kind of skin diseases. Hansel's disease is what we call leprosy today, and it's where, you know, eventually your skin just falls off. It's just a horrible disease, and there's no cure for it. In the Old Testament, there were people that actually had leprosy. There were other skin diseases. Now, if you got a skin disease, whether it was leprosy or anything else, you would look down and you'd go, oh, no, oh, no. And you would have to go to the priest, and you'd say to the priest, you'd say, look. And he'd go, oh, no, that looks bad. 
you know, I think we got a problem here. And so he would go to the priest, and the priest would look at it. And if they thought it was something like leprosy or some skin disease, they had to leave. They had to go out. And they couldn't hang around people anymore. This, this skin disease or leprosy was so bad that if you had it, you could not go back. You, you couldn't hug anybody. You couldn't touch anybody. You, couldn't, you had to stay away from people. If you happened to go into town, because they usually lived outside the cities, if you happened to go into place, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so people wouldn't get to you. They'd look it back out of the way and say, don't touch anything. You're not supposed to touch anything. We don't want to get your disease. It really was a picture of sin because that's what sin does. Sin separates and sin kills. And so sometimes there's analogies between leprosy and sin because it just ties together. So here are these, these people, ten men who have this disease. And, and notice it says they stood at a distance. See, they couldn't come over and say, hey, I'd like to talk to Jesus because they couldn't do that. They have to stand at a distance. And so he sees them, and they see him, and notice what it says. And they raise their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, they, first of all, they call him by his personal name, Jesus. But second, they use a word that's only used three to four times in the Gospel of Luke, and it's the word Master. And it means like a commander. It means one of high position. They are recognizing that Jesus is really special. That's how they're looking at him. And look what they say. Have mercy on us. You know, grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. They, they know that they're supposed to be separated from people. They know that they're going to have this disease most likely for the rest of their lives. And they're saying to Jesus, do something for us. Have mercy on us. They're thinking maybe he could heal them because maybe they heard about him. They, 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 that's maybe why they're waiting for him. They hear he's coming and they know that he's healed people in the past. He's done things. Rumors are out that he's even raised the dead. He's done all. So they're thinking if we could just get his attention, maybe he could heal us. That's what we want. So they say, Master, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. How does Jesus respond? He could do anything, couldn't he? Jesus could say, how y'all doing? Good to see you. Thanks for coming. That's it. He could just keep right on going. You know, Jesus didn't heal everybody, right? You remember when that man was at the pool of Bethsaida and he and, and there were just all kind of people there and he couldn't walk. He'd been that way for years and years. And Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to get well? And he says, yes, I want to get well. And so Jesus heals him immediately. You realize Jesus didn't heal anybody else there. So Jesus didn't come to heal everybody. He came to die on the cross to pay for sin to give us eternal life. So here, here's these people, and they're shouting out, have mercy on us. And he could just ignore them. He could say, you're healed, and immediately they'd be healed. He could say, come, come here, come here, come here. And he could touch every one of them and heal them. He could say, why don't you just go on to one of the pools over there and wash in it. When you come out, you'll be healed. He could do anything he wants to do. What does he tell them to do? Look at the next verse. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, let me tell you, why, why priest? What are we talking about? Well, remember that if you, if you came to the priest and you said, I think I've got something right here. And they went, yeah. Under Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they would say this. Okay, you have to go outside for seven days, outside the city. Come back in seven days. We'll look at it, see how it looks. They came back. It got worse. And they'd say, oh. We better give it seven more days. They went back out. They came back in. Then they said, you have leprosy. You're going to have to stay out until you're healed. If you thought you were healed, you came into the priest and you said, I've got to show you my place. It's gone. Look, look, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. 
If that happened, the priest would say, okay, here's what you do. Let's look at it. Go back out for seven days. Come back in. Then if it looked like it was really healed, the priest would then say, let's come up. We've got two different sacrifices we've got to offer. We've got to go through all this stuff. And then you'd be declared healed. Jesus says to these guys, go show yourself to the priest. Why would he say that? They, they could say, how are we going to show ourselves to the priest? We've got leprosy. And only if we're healed do we go show ourselves to the priest. He's saying... Trust me, go show yourself to the priest. As they were going. Notice what happened? They were cleansed. Now, I want to think about two things. One is the fact that he loves all these people. He loves everybody. Jesus loved all people. The people who were the outcast, the sick. He loved the Pharisees. He just dealt with them harshly because they dealt with him harshly. He loves all people. And look at what he's saying to the people who are the outcast ones. Go show yourself to the priest. Now, as they were going, it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. In the Greek language, it means as they started, as they were walking, at that exact moment, they were cleansed. Now, can you imagine that? All ten at one time, they, they say, okay. And as they go, and they go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm okay. Look at me. Am I okay? Look at me. You guys, look around. It, you know, you can see I'm going, yes. Immediately they're healed. That's a miracle. You know what it means? They're going to get to hug their family. They're going to get to go back and be with people. They're going to get to eat with people. They're going to get to talk with people. They're going to get to hug people and, and be with people again. That's never happened to them and since they had this disease. So let's go to the priest. Because, see, you've got to go to the priest and you've got to say, look at me. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then they've got to go through the stuff, but then they're going to be okay. Notice what happened. When he, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Now I want you to see what happened. One of them, as he go, he goes, Whoa. And he goes, thank you, Jesus. I want to say praise you. And he starts going back there. Now, I want you to understand something. All the rest of these guys, they saw that. It wasn't a secret. They heard him with a loud voice. In fact, as they're all walking, this guy turns the other direction and starts shouting out and glorifying God. Notice what it says. When he saw that he'd been healed, he turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. These other men saw that. What did they do? Did they go, yeah, yeah, thank you, Jesus. You are the greatest. That's not what they did. They just kept on going. One guy comes back. And he comes back and it says that he was glorifying God with a loud voice. And verse 16 says he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. See, to fall on his face is an act of worship. He's not just thinking Jesus is a good man and maybe a pretty sharp doctor. He's saying he's God. He's the one to worship. He comes back and falls at his face, on his face right before Jesus' feet. It's an act of worship. He recognizes that Jesus Christ is the one who healed him, that Jesus Christ is God. He's given glory to God. Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. You know what he thinks? He comes right to Jesus. He no longer has to be separated. 
He's giving thanks. By the way, notice it says he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to God. The way it's written in the Greek, that giving thanks is ongoing. He's going, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ongoing. How should we respond to God for what he has done for us? Should we thank him? Should we praise him? He has saved us. He has given to us eternal life. He is the provider and the protector. He empowers us. He gives us spiritual gifts. He's given us the word of God. He's given us fellowship with fellow believers. How should we respond to God? When was the last time you just said, thank you for everything. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for letting me get up another day. In fact, when we wake up every day, we should say, thank you, Lord, for another day. Because he doesn't have to let you live another day. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and all your blessings and all you do. And you're the provider and you're the protector. You're a God of love. You've given me everything. Psalm 107, verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Give thanks. Loving kindness means an unchanging love. Thanks be to God for what he's done for us. Do you thank him? When you wake up every day, you say, Lord, thank you for letting me get up another day. Because he doesn't have to let you get up another day. He doesn't have to let you make it through this day. He doesn't have to give you everything that he's given you. Thank him. Notice there's one other aspect of this. At the very end of the verse it says, and he was a Samaritan. See, this man was not only rejected because of his disease, he was rejected because of his race. The Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. Except Jesus did. That Jesus did. This man saw Jesus as the one who would heal him and the one who would save him. He, he worshipped him as the Messiah and the Savior. You know, I, I told you that the, the Samaritans had some really different responses to Jesus. Once when Jesus was going through Samaria, he stopped at Sychar, which is where the well, the well is, and the woman at the well came out there and he talked to her. And basically, the, she said, why, "Why are you?" First of all, he asked her for some water. And she said, why would you even talk to me since you're Jewish and I'm a Gentile and you don't have, I'm a Samaritan and you don't have anything to do with me? And before it was over, Jesus led her to the fact that he was the one who gives living water and she believed in him as Messiah and Savior. She goes back into the village, tells some men. She says, there's a guy out there who told me everything that ever happened to me. She, he knows everything. I, he might be the Messiah. And they said, well, what do you know? Let's go out there and see ourselves. And they went out there and all of them trusted in Christ. And they said, would you stay here? And he stayed there two days. Then the whole village and many, many of the Samaritans trusted in Christ. Now, the next time he was going through there, he was going through a city, and the word was out that he was going to Jerusalem. So these Samaritans came out and said, you can't pass through our city. And so they had to go around the city. And that's when James and John said, maybe we should just draw fire down and burn them all up. And that's when Jesus said, I I don't think that's the way to handle this one. But, you know, so sometimes they responded to Jesus, sometimes they didn't. But here is this one who falls down and says, you are the Savior. Thanks be to God for what He has done for us. Well, how does Jesus respond on this whole thing? Look at verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Weren't there ten? Weren't there ten who were leprosy? And ten who immediately when they started got healed? And, and one of them came back. What happened to the nine? Where did the nine go? And then look at the next verse. Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
The foreigners, the Samaritan. Maybe those other guys weren't Samaritans. They may have been Jews. Probably were. They didn't come back. In fact, the least expected one to come back is the one who came back. The least expected one, the Samaritan, is the one that fell before Jesus. And probably these Jewish guys just kept on going. And Jesus says, was nobody else found except this one to give glory to God? You know, it is expected to give glory to God for what He has done for us. To be thankful to God for what He has done. Wow. Watch what, look what the, the next, you know. Nine saw Jesus as a healer to meet their needs. One saw Jesus as a healer and a savior. The one to whom not only meet the physical need, but to meet the spiritual need. Look what Jesus says, verse 19. And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, we have to look at the verse in details because he says, first of all, stand up and go. Go where? Go to the priest. He's got to go to the priest and say, look. And the priest is going to say, okay, go out for seven days, come back. When you come back, then we'll offer the sacrifices and you'll be okay. That's what he wants them to do. He says, go but notice the last part of the verse. It says, your faith has... Now, I have a New American Standard, and it says, your faith has made you well. But literally, in the Greek, it says, your faith has saved you. It's the Greek word sozo, which means salvation. Uh, if Jesus would have wanted to say, your faith has made you whole or healed you or made you well, he could have used different words. He actually used the word, your faith has saved you. And I think what Jesus is doing is right there saying, not only did you get healed physically, but you were healed spiritually because you believe he believed in Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior. The others, they received physical healing. This man not only got the physical healing, he got the spiritual healing. See, he received both physical and spiritual healing. Jesus is the Savior. In our lives, sometimes Jesus does something in a physical way. He heals us or he gives us something, all those kind of things. But the greatest thing he's ever done for any one of us in this room who know Christ is that he has healed you spiritually. You were dead in trespasses and sins. He's made you alive. He has given to you eternal life, all simply by faith. Wow. We have eternal life. We're saved both, in a sense, physically and spiritually because he's going to raise this body up as well. How do you respond to what he's done for you? I mean, think about it. So often we ask him for stuff, and then even when he answers prayers, we just take it for granted. When we wake up every morning, we ought to go, another day, thank you. We wake up and we go, oh no, it's early. We, we should say, thank you that you let me wake up another day. Now, from this, and I'm going to go very quickly through this last part because we're going to see more details next week. In verses 20 and 21, some Pharisees come and they raise some questions about the kingdom. And we need to talk about it a little bit. And so don't miss if you can. Don't miss next week or the next week after that because the next two weeks after this, he's going to really go in some details about the kingdom and the thousand-year reign and all those things. But look what happens. Uh, the, the Pharisees are raising questions. Now, we don't exactly know when this happened. Notice it says, Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered and said to them, 
The kingdom of God has not come with signs to be observed. Now, it says, now having been questioned, we don't know when this happened. It seems like the best to think about it is sometime after he did this with the lepers, the healed the, the ten lepers, and this man came back to him. Sometimes some Pharisees came to him and raised some questions. So he's going to answer their questions. And uh, it's pretty powerful. The Pharisees, if you remember, were these religious leaders. Uh, they thought keeping the law would get them to God. And when they're asking these questions, I want to show you two things. First of all, we're going to see the questions, then we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. First of all, the questions, and I want you to see something. They're not asking, and go ahead and put the thing. They're not asking to gain information. They're not going, Jesus, we, we've been really wondering, when do you think the kingdom's going to come? That's not what they're doing. See, Jesus is claiming to be the king and the Messiah, and they're really saying, if you really are the king and the Messiah, how come there's no kingdom? How come there's no kingdom? They probably even said to him, show us some signs, because we saw that in the other places. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus has already done all of the signs of his first coming. Isaiah, 50, uh, Isaiah uh, 53, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 35, all of those places are where Jesus would do the signs. In fact, the signs of the first coming of Christ, of where he came to die for us, is to heal the sick and raise the dead and to give the gospel message and, and to proclaim that. And he's already done all of those signs, and they, they've rejected that. So when they're saying, it says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, what they're saying is, okay, where's the kingdom? You're supposed to be the king. We don't think you're the king. If you were the king, how come there's no kingdom? He'd already given them all the signs of the kingdom. Now let's talk about the kingdom for just a second. The kingdom of God, when it says the kingdom of God, when's it going to come, is referring to the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. We call it the millennium because it means the thousand. And there's going to be a time when Jesus Christ will come to this earth as the king of kings and rule and righteousness and justice. We are not in the kingdom now. And when Jesus came the first time, he offered himself as the king to Israel. He said that John the Baptist would point him out and say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, I'm the king. But they rejected him and there, the kingdom didn't come then. That thousand year reign of Christ didn't come because the first time he came, he came to die. Notice what he says about it. He says, the kingdom of God is not, this is the end of verse 20, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Why? Because he's here now. He's already there. He's already done the signs that they would have observed, and they missed them. Now, when he comes the second time, there will be some particular signs. And I'm going to show them to you next week and the week after that. We're going to see how it fits together. So when he came the first time, he says, listen, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. No, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He's saying the kingdom of God's now. Because he's the king and he's on the earth and they need to believe in him. But they're not going to believe in him. They're going to reject him. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, I'm here. The kingdom is in your midst. So when he says this, he's saying to them, you don't have to be looking for it. I'm the king. I'm here now. We can start this thing anytime you want to. But they reject him. And I want you to understand something. That the first coming of Christ, he offered himself as the king. He was rejected. John 1.11, he came into his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected. And he came and died and rose again, paying for our sins. That's what he did in the first coming. He came to die and to be the Savior. In the second coming, 
He'll come, Revelation 19, beginning at verse 11 through chapter 20. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he rules and reigns in righteousness and justice, and he rules for a thousand years on this particular earth. That is the kingdom. That's what they're looking for. But it could have been right then because he says, I'm right here in the middle. But they reject him. And there will be a time in which Jesus Christ comes to this earth as the king. Now, in my Sunday school class, we've been studying, uh, I've got a study we're calling it the seven last things in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, beginning in chapter 19, verse 11, to the end of the book, chapter 20, 21, and 22, there are seven things that are in chronological order that are the seven last things. One of those is the kingdom. One of those is the thousand-year reign of Christ. So if you're interested in that, you can come to that class, or you can go online and just get it off the Internet. All the messages are there if you want to download that. Next time, we're going to get details on the kingdom. I want you to notice something. I want you to watch. Verse 20, having been questioned by the Pharisees, when he begins to teach about the kingdom, notice verse 22. And he said to his who? Disciples. The Pharisees asked the question. He's going to do the teaching to his disciples because that's the ones who really want to know. Next time we'll get into that. Well, we've seen ten lepers seek mercy from Jesus. Jesus heals them all. Only one comes back to give glory to God. Jesus heals him not only physically but spiritually as well. The religious leaders come in. They're asking for signs about the kingdom. When's the kingdom? Jesus said the kingdom's here now because the king is here now. We'll see more next time. Let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Let's glorify God for all He has done for us. I mean, think about it. Give God the honor and the glory and the praise and the adoration and worship for all that He's done. A, God loves all people. All people, whether they're Jew or Gentile or Samaritan, all races, rich or poor, all people. He loves them all. He made them all and He loves them all. So just remember that. He loves all people. B, Jesus saves us by faith. That's the key. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. It is not by works. It's not by righteousness. It's not what we do. It's not by being good or anything. It is simply faith in Christ. Now, I want you to understand something. If You may have come this morning and said, you know, I think I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I've been trying to live a good life or I got baptized or I go to church or I do this. None of that has any bearing on your eternal destiny. Salvation is a gift. It is not by what you do or what you have done or what you're ever going to do. Salvation is a gift. Jesus Christ died, paid for sin, rose again. Whoever believes in Him, He gives to them as a gift eternal life. To believe in Him is to believe that He is your Savior. That's what He's talking about. Jesus saves us by faith. So we are to give thanks, praise, and worship to Jesus Christ. It's just like that. The leper realized that God, Jesus had healed him. He comes back and worships him. And Jesus says, not only are you healed physically, but you're healed spiritually as well because you believe in me. Well, any of us, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, and we ought to wake up every day saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for dying for me and paying for my sins. There's some verses there, and this one, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give Thanks, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving over and over and over. What we see is we're to be thankful to God for what He has done. So let's give Him thanks.
and praise and worship Him. Number two, and here's the second thing, understand the truths about the kingdom. I hope and pray that you'll be able to put this together and you'll understand about the first coming of Christ, how He came and He died on the cross and paid for sin and is the Savior. He comes the second time to the earth. Now remember, it's to the earth. Second time He comes to the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So understand, A, that Jesus offered Himself to Israel at His first coming. He came as the King. He offered Himself and they rejected Him. And when they rejected Him, He went to the cross, died on the cross, paying for our sins, was buried and rose again. He came the first time as the Savior. The second time He comes, and Jesus will rule on this earth at His second coming. And I'm talking about to the earth. Don't confuse it. The rapture is not to the earth. The rapture of Christ comes in the clouds. That's not the first or the second coming of Christ. First coming to die, second coming to reign. I hope that you'll be able to put that together. And if not, just keep studying it and get you know get the tapes or get whatever you want. And I will continue next couple of weeks. We're going to go into some details on the kingdom so we'll be able to put those end time things together. As we look forward to the coming kingdom when our Savior Jesus Christ rules the world, may we now give Him praise and honor and glory and worship and thanksgiving to our God who saves us and provides and protects us through our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Help us to understand them. Lord, thank you, first of all, that 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 you do it all. We May we give you honor and glory and praise because you love all people. You've saved us simply by faith and that we should wake up every day thanking you and bringing you honor and glory because what you've done for us. So, Lord, may we remember to thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray also that we'll begin to understand and be able to put together end-time events and understand the first coming and the second coming and how he came to die and then how he comes to reign and be able to put it all together so that when people talk about the kingdom of God, that we'll understand what it is. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. May we bring honor and glory and praise and adoration and thanksgiving to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.